We're glad that you're here today. If I've never met you before, my name is Chris Massey. I'm another one of the pastors here at Family Life Church. And we don't say this just as a token idea, but as a reality. If you're visiting, we're so glad that you're here today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. You got up this morning and there were other things you could have done, but you said... I think I want to go check out church. I want to go check out Family Life Church and just spend some time with them. And I I hope that our time together uh, will just be great for you and fruitful for you. I'd also love to meet you after service uh, in our foyer. If you go out these middle doors to the left, our welcome banner, we would really love to connect with you after service if you you have time for that. And if you stop by, I'll bribe you a little bit. I'll even give you a free drink that you can get at the cafe uh, uh, from, from our awesome cafe, actually. It's been pretty good. So... Uh, I wanted to jump into my message, but I also want to take a, a second to just highlight something and ask you to pray with me. Tomorrow morning, Life Kids is leaving for Kids Camp. All right? Now, I know a few of the parents in here are wanting to cheer extra loud for that. They're just like, <laughs> praise Jesus, God is good. Uh, but you know what's really exciting? We have 39 children going to Kids Camp. That is awesome. You know, and I'm just, I'm so impressed by the things that God does there, but more than just the adventure for them of getting away and having the experiences they're going to have there, uh, one thing that I go to, and I have talked to so many pastors that could tell you this story of exactly where they were at this camp that they're going to, where God spoke to them for the first time, where God called them into ministry, where they just had a powerful encounter with God. So more than anything else, I wanted to ask you to just be with me in prayer. Let's pray that our 39 kids that when they get there, that they have a powerful encounter with God. So can we pray for that this morning? And if you're one of our chaperones that are going on the trip, could I ask you to stand so that we could pray for you as well? Any of our chaperones? There we go. A couple. Here we go. Okay. We're just going to pray. You guys are heroes with taking 39 kids. But we're going to pray. Lord, thank you for our life kids. Thank you, Lord, that they're learning to live their lives for Jesus. And Lord, we just give them into your hands and pray, God, that you would do amazing things this week in their lives at camp. Lord, more than any adventure and, and the wonderful things that they're going to do this week, I pray, God, that you would use this as a moment in their lives in which they remember encountering you, where they heard your voice, where they connected with you on a deep level. God, we pray for these chaperones as well, Lord, that you'd be with them, give them strength and perseverance this week to love like crazy and to love like you do. And Lord, I pray your blessings over their trip, just everything to be safe. And Lord, for all of it to bring glory to your name. And we, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, chaperones. Really appreciate you. Uh, God's going to do some awesome things. So please continue to pray this week. Uh, they're leaving tomorrow. They'll be back Thursday. So just in your prayer time, just be praying for those 39 kids. And I would say even more, double prayers for the chaperones. Because there's not 39 chaperones going, okay? (laughs) It's not a one-to-one kind of thing. But anyway, I wanted to get into my message this morning. We've been in a series on Abraham and just talking about the amazing things that that have happened in Abraham's life. And and really, one of the things I want us to really focus on again is this reality. Abraham is the first, Okay, you know, we talk about this idea for us, we study Abraham because when we're going through things, we can look back to Abraham and be like, hey, it worked out for him, it'll work out for me, God is good. But Abraham had no one to look back to as far as faithfulness of like, hey, if I trust God, is it gonna work out? If I follow God's plan, is it gonna bless me? He had to just do it by blind faith in God's goodness. But just as a quick recap here, uh, I wanna look at some of Abraham's life, but, but here's my question for you first. How many of you in here, and you can raise your hand if this is you, how many of you in here at some point in your life feel like God has given you a promise? Okay, quite a few of you, okay. 
So we're going to focus on that this morning, this idea of God's promises in our lives, because that's what a big focal point of Abraham's life is the promise that God gave to Abraham. But just a quick recap here, okay? Abraham is called to leave his family and trust God at the age of 75. Again, I say for you parents who still have uh, children, adult children living at home, we're praying for you, okay? 75 is too old. Uh, God gave him a promise of descendants and land, but he took matters into his own hands at the age of 85, uh, married Hagar, and Ishmael was born at the age of 80, not, he was 86. Then God renews his promise at the age of 99, and Isaac is born when he is 100 years old. But as we said last week, when we take matters into our own hands, there is a penalty, there's a price, and the price in this case is that he had to dismiss Ishmael because that wasn't God's plan. And then after all of that, what we're going to focus on today, God tells him to sacrifice his remaining son. Now, you ever read things in Scripture and you're just like, God, come on, what are you doing? What, what is the plan here? You know, and I, I was kind of thinking about this this week because... Um, for all accounts, Isaac is probably, you know, 14, 16 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, God's timing was perfect because when your kids are five years old and the Lord's like, you need to sacrifice them, you're like, no, I couldn't do that, Lord. But when they're 15, <laughs> all right, Lord, huh? okay, we could talk. We could talk, Lord. That's all right. All right. If you don't have a 15-year-old, <laughs> Lord bless you and keep you. Okay. But this is, a, this is a crucial moment for Abraham, okay? And, and God is, is taking something, and I don't want us to focus so much on this idea that it's Isaac, because we, we can get kind of hung up in this idea, well, it's barbaric, and wow, how could a man sacrifice his only son? Uh, but but there's, there's really an idea here that's at the core of everything that's happening. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 22 uh, this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, you can read uh, one of the Bibles that is in our pews. We have brand new, they were just installed this week, brand new Bibles that uh, that are New Living Translations. So they will say exactly uh, what we have on the screen. You'll be able to follow along. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it's really easy to find, all right? But Genesis 22, I'm just going to read verses 9 through 12 to start. It says that when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. You know, there are a lot of parallels here that we can look at in Abraham and also the way that God works. And probably if you are familiar with John 3.16, you're kind of hearing that same verse there, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And here's Abraham and God's challenging him. Would you give me your one and only son? Uh, I've put you through a lot. Listen, Abraham is 115 years old at this point, Okay. He's been waiting on God's promise for all this time. He sees Isaac and he's like, I've got God's promise. I'm good. I'm ready. And God's like, would you take the promise that I've given to you and would you lay it on an altar and sacrifice it for me? And, and again, it's just one of those moments that you look at scripture and you're like, God, what are you talking about? And here's a question I think we need to wrestle with as we just jump into this this morning. Why does God test people? 
Why does he do this? You know, we, this is an important theology for you to form in your own life to understand God testing because it is scriptural. God tests people. And I want to be very careful in setting the foundation here as we talk about this. Not everything you experience is a test from God, okay? Because, and here's, here's the one thing I love to point to is the reality that that cornerstone for me, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he tells them one of the most important things they can ever pray. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, what could that possibly indicate to us other than that there are things happening on earth that are not his will, okay? And, and there are a lot of byproducts here. Sometimes things happen to us because somebody else's sin, somebody else's bad decisions. Let's take it a step further. Sometimes things happen because of our sin and our bad decisions, right? I know we don't like to, to think through that and experience it, but it is a reality. But there are times and places where God himself tests people. So understand this. Let's form a theology here for yourself. And I want to present you with a couple of ideas. First of all, the Old Testament makes it seem like the reason that God is doing this is because he wants to find out if Abraham is faithful. The angel says, now I know that you love God because you said you would lay down your one and only son. But how many of you realize before the test, God already knew the outcome, right? Is that fair? Can we agree on that this morning? So if God finding out for himself wasn't the issue, then let's look at the other two possibilities. And I think that you need to really pray about if you're going through a season of testing to determine which one of these is it that God is doing right now. Okay, so number one is this. God is proving himself to us through us, okay? God proves himself to us through us because he's showing his faithfulness. How many of you drove here this morning in a car? How many came on a motorcycle? You lucky ducks, I saw you out there. <laughs> Wind in your hair, right, Darren? <laughs> I appreciate that barber he has, good guy. You drove here in a car this morning. Now, here's something I want to point your attention to. You got in that car. You believed in its safety. You drove here. And, and here's something that you probably have never thought about before. But car manufacturers, on average, spend about $3 million to test every single vehicle they make for crash safety. They'll just take tons and tons of them, just keep crashing them and crashing them and crashing them to make sure that they're safe. Worldwide, automakers spend $300 billion a year testing vehicles to see if they're safe. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that when I get into a car, it's safe. Did anybody get into a car planning to get into an accident this morning? How many of you have ever been in a car accident? Man, we got some bad drivers around here. Okay. <laughs> I know. It wasn't your fault. I know. Yeah. wasn't your fault. But here's the reality. I don't know what you said, but it was probably not right. <laughs> Just because I know the source. When we get into a car, we're getting into something that has been tested and tried because sometimes bad things happen. And if it's not ready, then we're going to be in great danger. And Jesus put it this way. He said to his disciples, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm, I'm testing you in some cases and in some ways in your, in your childlike faith and in your journey because I'm trying to build up inside of you a strength that can endure to the end, that when trouble comes, when difficulties come against you, you'll be able to withstand it. Secondly is this idea. God uses it as testimony. 
Listen, the world around you sees the things that you go through. When you can go through tribulation and come out on the other side giving glory to God, when you come out as a victor on the other side, the world around you sees what God is doing and there's just some, it builds a testimony, his faithfulness in you. And, and so these two ideas are really a big part of why God tests the way that he does. But for Abraham, it's to show him, Abraham, you can trust me. You can trust me. I, you know, and we've been saying through this whole series that God loves you, he's good, and he has a plan. And these are the things that have become very important to Abraham. So we see this, Hebrews 11, we read a little bit more about this sacrifice. Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. It says it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Listen, I I just want to speak to this this morning because this is really important. God is still in the business of bringing things back from the dead. Thank you for hearing that. He's still bringing things back from the dead. And and what I want to focus on here for the remainder of our time is this. It wasn't just Isaac that God asked Abraham to sacrifice. It was his promise and what was most precious to him. Because... Here's the unfortunate thing about promises from God. And, and, you know, if you're here this morning and that's a foreign idea to you, like, I don't think I've ever had a promise from God. You know, Scripture gives us the promise of salvation, the promise of God's goodness. We have those things. Uh, don't really have time to go into how do you know if you hear from God. But if, if you've been in that place, okay, uh, and if you haven't, Abraham was 75 before he heard from God, okay? So there might still be time for you. But here's the, the reality. Sometimes when we get a promise from God, we can hold on to it so tightly that we actually make an idol out of what God's gift was. We, we become so attached to the idea of what we thought it would be, what we hoped it would be, right? What we dreamed it would be, that we, we just cling to it and it can become an idol in and of itself. And we start to focus more on the promise than we do on the promise maker. Because it was God who gave the promise, right? And we talked about that last week. Even when we're going through trial and tribulation, when we're facing difficulty, it was God who made the promise. But his call to Abraham is this. Would you lay down what is most precious to you? Would you put on the altar what is most precious to you if I asked it of you? Would you lay it down and say, God, it's yours. I give it into your hands. Would you believe that no matter what you go through, I still have the ability to bring it back even from the dead? And this is what Abraham experienced in his journey with Isaac. And let's let's make this real. I mean, come on, this is Abraham is not some barbarian who, you know, just can't stand his teenage son. I can only imagine the absolute fear and frustration in Abraham as he's going through this moment and just obeying God. I can only imagine, like, come on, real life here. Isaac saying, hey, dad, where are we going? You can read it in the verse before. Hey, dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Well, son, we'll talk about that later. It's real. 
And he's walking with him and he's tying up his own son, that thing that's most precious to him. Like, I've waited a hundred years for this boy. I waited a hundred years for him. And now I'm tying him up and I'm laying him on an altar. A hundred years I waited for this boy. Can you imagine the, the, the tears and God, what are you doing? Maybe sometimes the question we most ask, God, why are you doing this to me? But Abraham says in that place of faithfulness, he says, no, I believe that God is good. I believe that he loves me. I believe he has a plan for me. And if I can hold on to those three things, I can endure anything because I know that the outcome is going to be worth it. In Hebrews 11, we see this as speaking to those who had been so faithful. And it speaks of Abraham. It says, people of faith like Abraham, Sarah, they died still believing what God had promised them. You know, of, of all the things that hits me the hardest is that waiting and watching for God's promise to come, they never got to see it. Ever. They died holding on to the promise. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place. A heavenly homeland. And listen to this. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. That's why God's not ashamed to be called their God. And listen, let's, let's just break this down, okay? He's talking about why would Abraham do this? Why would Abraham keep going forward? Why would he keep trusting? A man who we know the end of the story, Abraham goes to his grave, never seeing the promise of God. As we talked about in week one, he doesn't see it. His son doesn't see it. His grandson doesn't see it. Hebrew tells us that they had to live in the promised land in tents for three generations before they finally began to see what God was doing. 750 years from the times that God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you descendants and I'm going to give you this land before his descendants actually go into the promised land. Why would he do it? Because he was looking forward instead of looking back. He was looking for believing forward. And listen, this is how faith works. This is the challenge of faith is to believe forward that on the other side that God is good. He loves me and he has a plan. God is good. He loves me and he has a plan. And, and please don't think I say that flippantly because we all go through seasons like this in our lives. I've been there. I walk through it. You go through difficulty and you're looking, okay, God, I don't see what you're doing. I don't see how this is working. This doesn't really seem like the promise. When we had a conversation last time, I didn't think this is where this was leading. But God, you're good. You love me and you have a plan. But here's what it says. Here's why. It says if they had thought hard about where they came from, there would have been a temptation to run back to it. There would have been the temptation to run back to it because it's safe, right? It's what I know. It's what's easy. It's what's comfortable. I could run back to that and find shelter again. I don't know if there have been times that it feels like you're out there and you're following God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. And it's like, God, it's pouring and raining down on me and I'm getting soaked. I could really use some shelter right now. Do I run ahead to what God has in store or do I run back to this last safe place that I had? 
And this is what tension Abraham had to deal with. And I just want to encourage you in this. Press on to what God has in store. Press on to what God has in store. Because he's good, he loves you, and he has a plan for you. He's good. And listen, I know we've talked about this a little bit already in in the last couple weeks, but that reality that remains, the children of Israel who are blessed centuries later because this one man, Abraham, had a promise. This one man, Abraham, had faith to believe that God is good, he loves me, and he's got a plan. And even if he's not going to do something in me, please hear this, I still believe that he could do something through me. Even if it's not going to happen in me, I believe that God could do something through me. And so I'm going to press on. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to remind myself day after day that God is good. He loves me. He has a plan. God is good. He loves me. He has a plan. It's tough. God is good. He loves me. He has a plan. It doesn't seem to be working. God is good. He loves me. He has a plan. Church, this is the kind of faith that it takes to get through to the other side of what God has in store. But here's the problem. The promise. When that promise becomes our idol, when it becomes the only thing we could imagine, the only way we could imagine it, the only thing, the only plausible outcome that we're like, okay, this is what was going to happen. This is the way it was going to go. And I'm believing for the promise. I'm holding the promise. The promise is mine. The promise, the promise, the promise, the promise. But in doing so, here's the reality. Let me give you a very simple definition of idolatry. Anything that I love more than God is an idol. Anything I love more than God is an idol. And you know what? Sometimes I can love the things of God more than God. Sometimes I can love the idea of God more than God. Sometimes I can love the promise of God more than God. And even that itself can become an idol. And I've become in such great pursuit of the promise that I lost sight of the promise maker. I want to ask you this morning, the self-reflecting moment, am I seeking the promise or am I seeking the promise maker? Am I running day after day forward towards what I hope God is doing or am I running after God? Am I holding on to what I thought God was going to do or I thought he, and, and I don't say this flippantly, listen, I know I don't have to be a prophet to speak it, but then in this room, there are people who have to live with shattered dreams. I get that. That's a reality of life that we face. Sometimes the dream we had in our hearts, the, the place that we thought life was going, or what the, sometimes those things get shattered. But we can become so hung up on the promise that we lose sight of the promise maker. So hung up on the outcome we expected or hoped for that we lose sight of God and we lose sight of these three ideas. That God is good, that he loves me, and that he still has a plan for me. And if you're in the middle of that, I just want to remind you. If it's become difficult to believe, if it's become difficult to live, maybe even difficult to say, God is good. He loves you and he still has a plan for you. He's not done with you yet. Don't give up. Don't run back. 
Don't run back to what seems comfortable. Don't run back to what feels like, okay, this is going to fix it. If I could just get back to what was safe and what was secure, if I could just get back to what, what was. But like Abraham, press on to what God is building either in you or through you. And you might not see it in your life. I hope you do. I really do. I hope that in your lifetime you get to see the fruit of every good thing you've ever done, every sacrifice you've ever made for the Lord. But can I tell you something? This is hard. God's no less worthy of praise if you don't get to see it. He's no less worthy. It makes it easier because that that question that just lingers in our heads forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? I have sad news for you this morning. Following Jesus, you may not get anything out of it. God's already given you Himself. He's given you His Son. He's given you salvation. He's redeemed you from the pit of hell. God, bring us to a place where that's enough. And that through our obedience, maybe a generation that we haven't even dreamed of or heard of could be changed, could be saved, could be blessed just because of obedience. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your promises. Just for every single person in this room, God, myself included, we just take this moment to stop and thank you for your promises. Thank you for the ways in which you've spoken into our lives and the ways you've directed our steps, the things that you're doing and that you have in store. And and God, would you also just please forgive us? Please forgive us. Because there have been times and places where the promise became our idol. What we hoped it would be, what we thought it would be, it became our idol. And we we worshipped it more than we worshipped you. And we were more excited about it than we were about relationship and closeness, connection with you. God, would you please forgive us? Turn our hearts, turn our eyes back to the promise maker, the king of the universe the King of kings and Lord of lords who loves us, who died for us, who redeemed us from the pit of hell, who in truth doesn't owe us one more thing because he's already sat down at the right hand of the Father and said it's finished. Lord, forgive us for the times and places where that's not been enough. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to ask you, maybe you're here and You have your own dream, your own plan, your own promise, your own thoughts, things that you've just held on to and thought, this is what it would be, this is where it'll be, this is how it'll end up. And maybe that promise somewhere along the way got bigger than God himself. But if that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand to say, I'm laying that on the altar. I'm sacrificing it. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of hands across the room. I'm sacrificing it. I'm going to lay it down for Jesus. Can I ask you to stand with me as we close in prayer together? So I want to speak to the dozen or so of you in the room who raised your hand. It is not easy. It is not easy to take your dream or your promise and lay it on the altar 
and let God have his way with it. But I believe by faith, and I hope you'll join me in that belief, that on the other side, God is good, he loves me, and he still has a plan for me. And I want to pray for you because it's not an easy journey. Walking up the mountain to sacrifice is not easy. Tying up your Isaac is not easy. Laying it on the altar and pulling out the knife to it is not easy. But God is faithful. And if he so moves and desires to restore those things to you, to give them back to you, to bless you through them, he'll do it. He'll do it. But let's pursue him in the process and not the promise. Lord, I just pray right now for those in this room that raised their hand and said, that's where I'm at, God. I'm at the place where I'm just, I'm waiting for the promise. I had the idea in my head of what the promise would be, what it would look like, how it would end up. And God, I'm not there and and I'm disappointed. God, for those in here who maybe the idea of the promise became bigger than the promise maker, that our, our eyes were more fixed on the hoped outcome that we were pursuing than they were on you. But God, I pray that you'd give them supernatural strength that goes beyond themselves right now in Jesus' name. That as difficult as it may be, by faith, they would lay their Isaac on the altar, their promise, their hoped, preferred, desired outcome. Just lay it on the altar and say, God, it's yours. I worship you. I believe in you. I believe that you're good. I believe that you love me. I believe that you have a plan for me. And God, we trust you with these things. In faith, looking forward to what you're building in us or through us that we may never see. And if we don't, we'll still give you all the glory, Lord, because you're worthy. Encourage my brothers and sisters, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, please hear me. God's good. He loves you and he has a plan for you. Our prayer team will be be up here this morning. We'd love to pray for you if you need extra prayer. If you raised your hand, they'd love to connect with you to pray with you. Uh, Lord bless you. Love to meet with you if you're visiting, but have a